right, good morning. Hey, it's so good to hear what God is doing, isn't it? Uh, this series, Rediscovering Jesus, we really are rediscovering who he is uh, as the son of God, but also as someone who invites us in to something so much bigger than us. You know, he offers us life. He offers us life abundantly. He offers it in community and with purpose. And uh, it is such an incredible thing. He also is somebody who invites us into participation, right? He invites us into doing this thing together with him called life and, and to do that in the church. And as we get going today, there's going to be a number of moments where you're invited to participate. Are you awake? Because we're going to get going with one of those right out of the gate, all right? Uh, the message today is called This or That. Can you say that with me? This or That. And we're looking at what this is and what that is and the choice we have in really discovering who Jesus is and wants to be in our life. Let, let me read to you to, to frame this. John 7, we'll be in John 7 uh, in its really in its entirety today, but I want to share with you these two verses, 37 and 38, to get us going. Uh, it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There is a world that offers us stagnant, dead, lifeless water, and we can choose this or that. And we're going to have a little fun this morning, as I said, with some participation. So uh, if you didn't know, we're a hand-raising church. You can raise your hands at church. Let me see you do it. All right, very good. Let me see you raise your right hand. Okay, your left hand. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to put your foot in. All right, here's what we're going to do. There's a quick video clip, this or that. You're going to have choices. On the right side of the screen, if that's your choice, put your right hand up. If the left side of the screen is the choice that you would make between this or that, you put your left hand up. Really simple. I believe in you, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., let's go. We can do this, right? All right, let's play the clip. Let me see your right hand, left hand. Okay, we're getting to know our neighbors, and we're going to make our choices between this or that. Here we go. This is a this or that food edition. Let's go. This or that. Hamburgers and pizza. This or that. Hot dogs and sandwich. This or that. French toast and Belgian waffles. This or that. Hot wings and cheese sticks. This or that. Sushi and pasta. This or that, tacos and burrito. This or that, shrimp and salmon. This or that, chicken and meat.
this or that, nachos and popcorn. This or that, barbecue and steak. All right, give yourself a hand. That was uh, really, really good, and it was fun to watch. Uh, it was interesting. I expected barbecue or steak to be the most aggressive one. Watching you it, here, if you're in person, it was sushi and salmon that you got the most worked up about. Uh, so didn't see that coming. We're in Florida. We got a lot of fresh water, right? A lot of fish, so I guess it makes sense. But uh, when we think about this or that, uh, there is this invitation that, that Jesus is inviting us into, a much broader, larger story of who he is. And, and as this unfolds, it, when we understand that story, we can choose between this or that. And as we go through this, I think it's going to make a lot of sense to us today. And my hope and prayer is the invitation is clear to what God has for us. There's a, a philosopher that actually, interestingly enough, uh, in the 1950s began with some Marxist thinking. Uh, his name is Alistair McIntyre, and he moved from that into Catholicism in the 80s. And as he did that as a philosopher and, and somewhat of a theologian, he made a very important and profound statement. Here's what he said as he began to discover a different story and the story of Jesus in particular in this season of his life through the Catholic Church. Here's what he said. He said, I cannot answer the question, what ought I to do, unless I first answer the question of which story am I a part? And I want you to think about that for a minute of which story are you a part? Is it one that you're the author and you're writing it, or is it the one that Jesus is calling you into? Let's start at the beginning of John chapter 7 and get rolling with the text. It says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about, it, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. I'm going to just pause there and explain this to you. Uh, this moment in time is six months, roughly, after Jesus' miracle with the loaves and the fish that we looked at in John chapter 6. And, and in this moment, six months later, roughly, there's a feast of booths. And these feasts, there were three primary feasts that the Jewish people, God's people, recognized and celebrated during that period of time. This particular one was in the fall, and it included this idea of remembering their time in the wilderness. And so when we see booths, what it's talking about is actually the people would, throughout Jerusalem, would build booths, literally these mini sheds uh, without Lowe's or Home Depot help. And uh, as they built these booths, uh, some would be in the town for temporary dwelling as people came in to celebrate. It was about an eight-day celebration. And uh, there was others that were built on rooftops of the people that were residents and lived there. And, and so throughout the eight days, the first day of the celebration of Booths, uh, you had uh, a very solemn reminder of who God was and their need for him, and the same on day eight. In between there was six days where it was known for how joyful and life-giving this celebration was. It was also in an anticipation, uh, because this would have been in the fall, like between September and October typically, so they were anticipating the harvest coming in. 
So this was a very popular feast, lots of celebration, lots of joy. And in those eight days, there was typically two rituals that were done. One was with water, which Jesus is speaking to water in chapter 7. And the other is with the lighting of candles or, or lamps. And that is actually dealt with by Jesus in John chapter 8. Scripture is absolutely amazing, isn't it? And so when we understand the context, we understand that this is a highlight of the people's year, of their celebration. There's going to be crowds there, excited. And so what happens next in the text makes a ton of sense. Because Jesus' followers and family around him are going to invite him to go make himself known at a celebration where lots of people would be there. Are you tracking with me? All right, here we go. Verse 3, it says, So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast, I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Uh, If you're taking notes here, uh, and they're available at pathwayvb.com slash FYI, this or that, there's really a choice being presented here uh, throughout what we're reading that has to do with religion or a relationship with Jesus. That, that actually there, there's this framing that we see throughout John 7, uh, and, and it's really Jesus saying, listen, you could choose this, which is religion and what you've known, or you could choose a relationship with me. As you think about that, many of us will maybe begin to recognize some areas of our life where we're actually choosing this which is not Jesus, is something else that's based on man or tradition or routine or what we might know as religion versus a relationship. And and the thing about it is, as I was reading through this, the first 30 verses or so, I'm seeing this pattern, these things emerging that I can relate to that often lead me to a decision of whether I'll choose this or that. And, and, And it has to do with, am I willing to receive what Jesus has, or am I allowing some of my personal preferences and issues to get in the way? And so I want to unpack this for us, because I think you'll, you'll see in the text some of the things that maybe uh, you and I are tempted with. Uh, I'm calling these three signs of, uh, of rejecting or resisting a religious spirit. These are, what we see from the people is there's this religious spirit at work that is actually seeking to reject Jesus and to resist what he has for their life. And and you need to know, like, my passion, literally, like, since I defined it in seminary almost 20 years ago, is to passionately follow Jesus and help others do the same. That, That is, like, to my core who I am. If you're wondering, like, what's this pastor all about? Like, what's What's his deal? It literally is, I want to passionately follow Jesus, and I want to help others do the same. And there's times where I recognize that just as you and I, just as you face choices, so do I between this or that. 
So, so let me show you three things that I see here that, that are leading them to reject Jesus. The first is uh, fighting God's timing. If you could put that up for me. Uh, three signs of a religious spirit that's rejecting Jesus. Uh, the first is God's timing. Did you notice that his family and the disciples are saying, hey, go to the feast, go where the crowds are, go and make yourself known. And within that, part of them is like, yeah, we're still not sure ourselves if we believe. Anybody else struggle with timing? Okay, like 10 of you are honest today. Because, I mean, the truth is you, you probably all, we all struggle with timing and in particular God's timing. And, and there's something playing out here that has to do with Jesus saying, no, it's not time. Now, it's six months after a major miracle, so there, there's a time that has lapsed. He's still saying, no, I'm not going up with you and going to make myself known in the ways you want. But you'll see in a minute that there's almost like he takes a breath, they go up to town, and then he ends up joining them in his timing. God's timing is perfect and at times will be slower than we like and at other times will be faster than we like. You didn't expect that part, did you? I mean, the truth is, like in my own life, when I look at when I struggle with God's timing the most, it's often when I begin to get out of the spirit, out of that living water that Jesus offers, and I begin to get into my flesh I begin to get into a place that often is exasperated and made worse by this thing. Now, I'm not anti-cell phone. I, I clearly have one and I, you know, try to use it. But, but if I'm honest about it, this thing often is what causes me the most trouble with timing. Because it causes me to see what others are doing, how fast they're moving. You know, I, I'm seeing your best day posted and I know what my day has looked like. Anybody? And in that gap and in that space, I can often want to get ahead or even maybe sometimes want to slow down. And so recognizing these things can make a big difference. Uh, a few years back, this was in 2015, we were driving south from Michigan. We're from Michigan. Uh, we moved here in 2020, but in 2015, we came down uh, for a little bit of rest and renewal here in Florida, and uh, we, we drove through Atlanta at the wrong time of day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to this day, uh, my wife, Cindy, hi, honey, uh, I think she's watching right now from home, uh, she, she was absolutely scarred by getting through Atlanta. You know, we're in a Honda Odyssey. It's got like 100,000 plus miles on it. I've got my kids in the car, and we hit Atlanta like midstream of a rush. And uh, everything in me moved from like, this is safety to, oh my goodness, I better keep up or I'm going, we're going to die. Uh, and so I became a NASCAR driver in a Honda Odyssey really fast. And uh, there was moments in that where you're just trying to stick with the flow and keep up, right? There's moments where the traffic slows down and then it speeds up. And at the end of the day, you're, you're learning to, to literally <laughs> to survive this, this moment to flow with the traffic. And, and I don't know about you, but that's a lot of what gets in the way often is when I fight God's timing, I'm getting out of his flow and the way he's moving. 
There will be days where he says, hey, this is it. Be obedient right now. Let's go. Here's what I have. And he asks us to speed up. There'll be other days where, and and sometimes those extend into weeks and months where he's saying, hey, I need you to slow this down to stay in the flow with me. The safest space and place is to be in step with God's flow and with that living water with who he is, not our timing. Now, as the story goes on, the second one, the fear of man and the approval of others. This is another significant issue that I I think many of us deal with. Let me read to you what happens next in verse 10. It says, But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear, say fear, fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. And it's interesting here that there is this fear of man, this issue that gets in the way. You know, maybe you've asked yourself, well, I think this is what Jesus is saying. I think this is what I'm supposed to do. But I don't know how they're going to react. I I don't know how they're going to respond. I don't know how my family's going to react when when we say or do this. I don't know how my neighbors are. I don't know how my kids are. But you know that you know that Jesus is saying, hey, right? Like, this is what I have. And, And it's interesting how we can resist and reject Jesus and his will because we're so afraid of people approval. Anybody else struggle with people approval? Yeah, right? I mean, it's a real thing. Like, bless your heart, right? Like, we, we say that, but underneath of that, we want to say something else. Come on. Can we be honest for a minute? Like, underneath that, we really want to say something else, but because we're afraid, we don't necessarily speak truth in love. We don't maybe necessarily operate in the grace and the truth that God is asking us to. And so without even realizing it, if we're living for a different audience than him first, we can miss God's will and resist and reject the very good and the very best that he's offering us. They were afraid, so they did not speak up. And I just wonder if somebody in here needs to be set free today, right? set free to actually live and to to follow Jesus. And and the best thing I could tell you with this is is reorienting your life, that it begins with an audience of one. In a world that says, hey, there's a crowd watching, there's people around, and, and you're living your life for that audience, I believe Jesus wants us to live for him. He's the audience. He's the one. And if he says it, I then trust him enough to actually do the things that he's asking me to do. And in a culture right now that is so uh, post-Christian in our country and really moving towards an anti-God posture, anybody notice? We have got to develop a little bit more thick skin, a soft heart, and a spirit of love and boldness that doesn't fear the approval of others, but does what Jesus wants us to do. If we can get into that space, if you listened to the interview earlier, 
You know, there was some powerful truth in that interview. Thank you, uh, Mooseburgers, for what you shared. Because the idea is if we can get open and honest and, and real with God and with others, not afraid of what others think, that's when God can begin to really do some of his best work, where we get in step with that living water. Now, the third aspect of, re, of this religious spirit of rejecting Jesus it is that last piece there, and we're going to pick up in verse 14. And it has to do with misunderstanding Jesus' authority and his purpose. Notice what happens here as we read on in the text. It says, about the middle of the feast, verse 14, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So they're questioning his origin, they're questioning his authority, they're trying to figure out where is he getting this. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. Isn't that true today? Like you can tell the difference, right? When somebody is actually trying to, to make it about them versus make it about Jesus. I mean, pray for me. Pray for our staff. Pray for those that lead around here because it's all about Jesus and always needs to be all about Jesus. His glory, not ours. Amen? So it says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Now notice how far they go with resisting and rejecting Jesus. They don't understand his authority. They don't understand his purpose. And the crowd answers, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. As we jump ahead to verse 25, it says, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing about it. Can it be that the authority really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. It says that they sought to arrest him. They sought to actually handcuff him and, and, and to take him into captivity at that time. Verse 31 says, Yet many of the people believed in him, they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? You see, there was a lot of misunderstanding, if you're taking notes, of who Jesus was, of his authority, and his purpose. They, they misunderstood that Jesus actually is the Son of God, that he came, yes, in a fleshly body that, that lived 33 sin, sinless years, at this time about 30 years, but he also was fully God. And as a result, that's where his authority came from. That's where his purpose came from. He was the Messiah that had been prophesied and predicted. He is like no other religious leader that has ever lived. By the way, all other religious leaders have a tomb, to my knowledge, that you can go visit. Jesus doesn't. Spoiler alert, let me tell you the twist at the end, right? He dies, he rises, and he's alive today, and there is no tomb. It is empty. Because of this, they were missing by limiting his authority and limiting his purpose. And sometimes we can do that very thing. 
We can miss Jesus' authority and purpose and as a result try to limit, try to control, try to hold on to things in the way we think things should be. And, and this is a lot of what those religious leaders were doing, was holding on to something when Jesus was saying, hey, I'm moving forward and I've got something greater that I want to do. And it's great that within all of that, there were a few that were catching it and believing. Hopefully, you notice that. Now, as we look at this, there's a gentleman, G.K. Chesterton, that uh, famous writer. Uh, he'd be similar to a C.S. Lewis, uh, maybe not as profound in the volume that he wrote, the quantity that C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, but very in-depth, incredible author. And, and here's something that he said. He said, the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it established a rule in order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Whoo, right? That'll preach. Let me explain to you because some of you immediately want to reject what you're seeing there. You see, if Jesus is saying, I offer you living water, right? You could choose this or that. I'm offering you living water. I'm offering you an abundant life. I'm offering you life the way it was meant to be. That is something that within the boundaries God provides is meant to lead to a life that is running wild with the goodness that he intended for us, that is running wild with all of the great things that he has placed on this earth, that he puts within us in his spirit, it's meant to be so much greater and exciting than often what we're maybe living or experiencing. Come on, church. You see, their religious leaders wanted just a rule and an order and were missing this relationship that Jesus was offering. This river, this wild river that is available to us in following Jesus. Let me read to you the, in verse 37 again what he says. He says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I'm going to just pause there for a minute. Uh, yesterday, I, I was uh, doing my devotions on our, uh, what do you call it? Is it a porch, a patio, a lanai? What is it? Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Like this or that. You, you all are making your choice. Ooh, that's the most you've participated all morning. Uh, I, I was sitting back there and uh, I had my coffee and I'm reading in the Gospels about Jesus and the, the woman that touched his robe. And it said out of him flowed healing power. And, and he recognized it, and, and she realized it by becoming whole and experiencing God's goodness in that way. And I, I, I just sat there thinking, like, that's what this is talking about, a living water that is meant to flow freely through us, meant to flow freely through the presence of the Lord in us, that it's flowing freely in a way that touches all of life. I want us to keep that imagery in mind as, as I read on here. He says, now this he said about the Spirit, verse 39, whom those who believed in him were to receive. 
For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet's prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Like, notice this or that. They're choosing whether or not they believe this or that. There's a decision being made. It says, Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David? And comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Because again, God's timing was not then. If you're taking notes, this or that, Jesus' living water or the water of the world is what's offered to us. If you think of it this way, uh, you would not drink from a toilet unless you absolutely had to. Is that fair? Okay? Amen? That would just be disgusting. Even the fact that I brought it up on a Sunday got your attention, right? But, but here's the thing. There's another way of saying the water of the world. It would be to say it's toilet water. It's sewer. It's all of the things that we can choose to drink from daily and during the week that come from the world that I hope the imagery of a toilet sticks with you. Because that's actually what we're drinking unless we're drinking the living water that comes from Jesus. And it's a decision that they were making on whether or not they would receive or reject Jesus, whether or not we receive or reject the living water. I I was thinking back uh, to my middle school years, which is always scary. Like anybody else, like if you have middle schoolers, uh, my goodness, like we need to pray for all of those. Like... It is a tough period of time. Anybody? Uh, mine were incredibly awkward, and, and there were things that, that we were doing. Like, I don't even think our brains were working during that time period, right? And, and so in, in middle school, there was one particular spring break where in my neighborhood, all my friends were over. We got bored. There was a creek that was running through the neighborhood, and we decided it would be really fun to get all of the available logs and branches, and we were going to build the coolest and best dam that you could potentially build to stop the flow of this stream, okay? Anybody else do something like this in childhood? Okay, my story goes, uh, it, it was insane what happened next. So we did such a good job that a few days later, one of the kids that was a part of this with me, his dad happened to be the city manager, And he had to deploy all of his resources for about four or five days, chainsaws and men and and all of the staffing to remove all of the things that we had built and put in there because we didn't know that that stream actually had a purpose in our town. It it actually fed part of the uh, water plant and I believe even had something to do with the electrical grid and power. Um, (laughs) And so, uh, you know, I absolutely was scared to death of going near him for about 10 years. No joke. It was in my 20s before I actually, uh, you know, acknowledged that, hey, yeah, that, that, that was me. And he's like, I know. I know. <laughs> and uh, it was just crazy what happened. But, but in those decisions we made, in those choices, we chose to fill up living water with things that would block the actual good that it was intended to do. Do you see the correlation? 
that sometimes we're grabbing things that are dead and available and filling our life and blocking what God actually has with this living water. So, so let me take this a little bit further and give you some practical things very quickly. Four next steps to experience this living water. The first is uh, to commit, to live with and for Jesus in all of life. That if you think about it, it's a decision that you're making to say, I believe that that living water isn't meant to just flow on Sundays. It's meant to flow throughout the week. So I'm going to commit my life to, to being in step with Jesus and with that living water. That's really underlined because it's the first decision of the four that are then moving us towards how to live this. The second is to connect with God and with others regularly for worship, word, and witness. What have we done here today in our service? We've worshiped him through song. We've heard a testimony bearing witness to who God is, and we're in his word. And when we do that together, it has a way of helping us stay in the living water. Now, you're going to be like I am, have moments in a summer where you're traveling or doing other things. And, and as you do that, what would it look like to still watch online or to stay connected or to say, you know what, I'm not going to get out of that living water this summer. I'm going to stay committed to connecting. The second is to grow with God and with others in a small group, a class, or other discipleship or mentoring setting. We need each other. We are better together. And when we are in community with each other, in a small group or a class or a mentoring relationship, it helps us to stay in that living water. It helps us to grow. It helps us to not become stagnant and have blockages in the way of that living water. Can I get an amen? I want to do something here in this space today um, because over the next few months, we're praying and processing what are some of the things that we need to offer and, and to have. We're also looking for leaders that can help lead uh, groups and things around Pathway. And so I told you we're going to participate today. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes right now to take a survey. Pull out your smart device. If you're online, we have a link for you. Three-minute timer. And I'm going to just ask you to take this quick survey about our growing area because we want to make sure that as you say, yes, I'm committed and I want to connect and grow, that we also are preparing the groups and classes for what God wants to do. Amen? So let's take two minutes and take this quick survey.